I do want to be very mindful that um, I am the only thing standing in the way of tired parents having lunch and going home. And so I'll try to keep that in mind. But I do want to don't take this off my time. In my quiet time this morning, or my time just with the Lord, um, I've told some, some of the guys, I've been reading through some of the prayers of the early church and just trying to get, you know, tap into the wonderful things the Lord has done through 2,000 years of Christian history. And I came across this one this morning. I thought it really fit kind of as a, as a concluding time that we are with here. This is from something called the Apostolic Constitutions. You've never heard of it probably, but it is a collection of prayers and things from the, the first few hundred years of the church that was used in churches. Listen to this. This is something that prayed over new believers, but I think we can pray for every believer. It says, Lord, in Your mercy, hear the prayers of these believers. Give them the desires of their hearts for their good. Reveal to them the Gospel. Give them understanding. Lead them in the knowledge of God. And implant in them awe and reverence for You. Open the ears of their hearts that they may grow in Your ways day and night. Strengthen them in light, in right living. And unite them with others in Your church. Help them to grow into a life of faith. Clothe them in Your garments of virtue and purity, which is true life. Deliver them from ungodliness and allow no place to the adversary who is against them. Cleanse them from all filthiness of flesh and spirit. Dwell in them and walk in them through Jesus Christ. Bless them as they come and go and order their everyday affairs for their good. Grant them your peace through Jesus Christ, free from sin. Almighty and only true God and Father of Jesus Christ, God of the Comforter, Lord of the whole world, look down now on these your servants as they learn and grow in the Gospel. Give them a new heart and renew a right spirit within them that they may know and do your will with all their hearts and a willing soul. Join and unite them to this body, your church, and show them your mysteries through Christ our hope, who died for them, and by whom glory and worship be given you in the Holy Spirit forever. Amen. And that's my prayer uh, for, for you, uh, for you new believers, for you old believers, uh, for you who are learning to walk and you who are trying to be faithful in your walk. That the Lord Himself would give us that, and He would we would hear this prayer, and it's encouraging to me just to think that these are the same struggles and the same needs that believers have had for over two thousand years, and the Lord who saw them through will see us through. Amen. All right, now if you're timing, you can start the time. Ephesians chapter five, verse twenty-one to thirty-three, very familiar passage, but. Even though this is specifically about marriage, as we've said many times, this is applicable to every person here. Those who desire to be married, those who are in relationships of any kind, because all the principles that work in marriage, as we're going to see, are the same principles that work in any relationship. And you and I live in relationships. You are not an island unto yourself. You don't live in isolation. It's not you and Jesus by yourself against the world. It's us together who belong to Jesus and we need each other. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 starts with this command, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's all of us. Now particularly, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, His body, and is Himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any other such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of His body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." This mystery is profound, for I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see to it that she respects her husband. This is God's Word. And so the focus of this weekend has been on families, particularly, especially in our various roles and responsibilities uh, under God. How to serve one another in relation to Christ. My part this morning is to help us think about marriage itself as it is a reflection of Christ both within the family and then beyond the family. In other words, I want us to consider what marriage is in clear theological terms that we can then apply to our lives. So let's begin with this. For married people and those who will one day be married, understand this, your marriage is where you must live out your theology. In other words, what you believe about Christ will show up in how you live at home. See, I know what you say you believe. You say you believe all these confessions. But home is where you show us what you really believe. How you live in your marriage is a theological statement revealing what you truly believe about Christ. I mean, look what he says here. He says in verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as what? This is an interactive. Lives, submit to your own husbands as what? As unto the Lord. In other words, a woman shows what she believes about Christ as Lord in the way she responds to her husband. She reveals the truth of what she really believes. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as what? As Christ loved the church. So men, you demonstrate your understanding of Christ and His love for the church by the way you love your wife. Someone said what you believe about Christ will ultimately determine the quality of your marriage. Because God made marriage as a statement about Christ. Isn't that what verse 32 says? This mystery is profound, but but I'm really talking to you about Christ and the church. That's my real subject. So, It's not just that marriage is a good illustration of Christ's love for the church that somebody came up with one day. It's that marriage exists to reflect Christ. To show what He is like. And and we are called to live that out in a way that faithfully reflects Christ and reveals His glory. Amen? Let me know you're here. Hello? Yes? Amen? Amen? Okay, there we go. So in a real way... Marriage is where you live out your theology. And I, and I mean that, that we do that on purpose. We take these truths of the Bible 
and we put them into practice first and foremost at home. So let me give you some examples. First of all, your theology of sin. Uh, Romans 3, uh, 9 through 12. Um, I'm going to read this. I'm, I'm going to give it a little twist. I'm not twisting Scripture. I'm applying it. So make sure you see that. Uh, but Romans 3, 9 to 12. Paul says, What then? Are we, and he's speaking about him, his fellow Jews, are we any better off than these Gentiles? No. Not at all. For we already charge that both Jews and Greeks, okay, little application here, both husbands and wives, we could say, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Who does that all include? Everybody. So, every husband, every wife, every child, every unmarried person have sinned and do sin. So, Husbands and wives, does it surprise you to find that you're married to a sinner? No, most of you know that already, right? You probably saw an example of it this week. I love the book title, When Sinners Say I Do. It's a great book. I mean, the title alone is worth the price. Why? Because I need reminded every day that in my dealings with Amy, I am dealing with someone who will sin and fall short of the glory of God in various ways. She's not here. I can confess her sins. And I need to know too, and she needs to know in her dealings with me, that she's got to contend with the fact that I'm a husband who can all too often confess with Paul, I am the chief of sinners. And so, just at the outset here, throw away all this romantic fairy tale nonsense that you picked up in a romance novel or a Hallmark movie that, you know, it's just going to be this wonderful clouds and bunnies and rainbows thing. A Christian marriage is the union of two redeemed sinners held together by the grace of God. Or if only one is a believer, uh, held in faithfulness by the grace of God. And this marriage is the place where we must learn to apply this grace daily. Okay, thinking theologically, that brings some implications home with us. First of all, what it means is that marriage will at times be hard. Can I get an amen? The first and last perfect marriage lasted about as long as it took Eve to take that first bite. Next thing you know, they're standing before God saying, He did it. No, she did it. Now you know that as husbands and wives, but somehow it still surprises us when sin shows up in our marriages. You see, we bought the world's notion somehow that this was supposed to be easier than it is. I once, in the counseling of a young couple, called the man a fool. I mean, in his face. I don't usually do that. But he sat there with me, beautiful young wife. They'd been married two years. It was hard. They were struggling. And he said, I want a divorce because if it was going to happen, it should be easy. And I said, you are a fool. And he was. And he divorced her because it was hard. That's a fool. Where did you get that in the Bible? No, life is hard in a broken world and so marriage will be hard sometimes. Just count on that. Second, it means that most of our problems in marriage are sin problems, not just method problems. 
this is what is wrong with a lot of marriage books. Now, there are really good marriage books, and I'll point them to you to some if you want them, but a lot of marriage books over the years that I've read, you know, they're more along the lines of five steps for better communication, 20 ways to show your wife that you love her, and there's nothing wrong with that. We can all use the help. But many of those books that I read early on seem to miss the point, and the point is this. I'm a selfish brute who wants my way, And I get into conflict with other selfish people who want their way. And lo and behold, there she is standing right beside me. Sin is the issue. My sin is the issue. And so the second bit of information, or bit of theology we have to keep in mind is, remember why God made marriage in the first place. Why did God make marriage? I'm talking theologically now, not sociologically. So I'm not talking about for the procreation of the race and for the companionship. Those are all the good you know, aspects too. But, but theologically, big picture, why did God make marriage? Someone tell me. Okay. Let's go back bigger than that. For His glory. Right? Right? Go back to theology first and foremost, for His glory. God wants to show the beauty of Christ's love for the church. As we've seen again in verse 32, right? Go back and look at it again. Now now listen, that's a big deal. Never lose sight of that. Every marriage is meant to show the beauty of Christ. And so as Christians, that's something that should, should be on our minds, right? This is something we need to be thinking about. So, husbands... We demonstrate to the world and our children, we demonstrate to the world what the love of Christ looks like by the way we treat our wives. So here's the question. Are you telling the truth about Christ or are you lying? Are we husbands accurately reflecting His life, His love, His patient grace, His mercy, His tenderness, or are we not? Do I look like Christ in my marriage? If someone came and spent a week with you this week, would they come away with an accurate picture of the love of Christ by watching the way you treat and speak to your wife? That's a heavy question. I can understand why the Apostle said, well, maybe it's just better not to marry at all. (laughs) And wives you get to picture how the church ought to respond to the loving authority of Christ. So, do you present a picture of them, of that that is true? You know, one of patient grace, one of trust and respect, one of of support? Or do you present a picture of sullen rebellion, um, anger, discontent, bitterness, resistance to Him. Now, now there's more to it than that, of course, if I was giving marriage advice here, but, but, but the point of this is sin gets in the way. None of us have lived up to this. We husbands, uh, we are a pale reflection of Christ at best. And we admit that, right? Guys, we admit that? And wives at best are weak examples of what Christ is truly worthy of. We know that. But you see, here's the point. This is the standard that is held up to us in Scripture. This is where we must fix our eyes. And so the question that we must ask ourselves regularly is, am I reflecting Christ to my spouse today? Uh, 
Do you ever ask yourself that question? Especially when it's hard? I mean, you should. That's exactly the question you need to be asking. Do you ask yourself that question often? And then answer it to yourself honestly. And you say, man, if I did that, that would drive me to despair. No, Christian, it would drive you to Christ. And that's the point. See, see, Paul is not holding this over our heads to kill us, discourage us, and make us feel like we're just trash. And neither am I this morning. Paul is holding this over our heads and before our faces in order to help us. Because the thing that I need most in my marriage is a clear, strong view of Christ. I need more of Christ in me. Because the more it is about Him and the less it is about me, the better my relationship with Amy is going to be. Amen? And my obsession with me is often the biggest problem in our marriage. Yours too, by the way. But the more I have of Him, the more I draw near to Him, the more I deny myself, take up my cross and follow Him, the better equipped I am to live out my marriage in a way that brings Him glory. So that's one theological reason God gave marriage. He gave it for Christ's glory. Second thing I want you to see is that marriage, in light of our sin, marriage is where God will show you your sin and your need for a Savior. Marriage, as our friend Mac Tomlinson likes to say, is a sanctifying institution. Right? Look what Paul says in verse 26. Uh, he says, speaking to husbands, uh, that the husband, in following Christ, might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. All kinds of application for the husband, but think about this. Now, with Christ... And the church, that all runs one direction. He sanctifies her. He makes her holy. But with me and Amy, it really runs both directions. Because God is using the sandpaper of both of our lives to mold and shape each of us in the image of Christ. Think about that. Think about that. I can fake it with you if I chose to do so. I can get up on the wrong side of the bed, be a bit grumpy, and you show up, and I can act like everything is cool. I can put on a really good show. Now, I try not to. I want to be honest, and but, but I can, right? And you can too. We're, we're good at putting on shows for those that don't have to deal with us on in an intimate level. But, but Amy lives with me. She is going to see the truth. She gets to experience the grumpy when he shows up. And so when I act on my selfishness, who has to face that? She does, right? Far more than anybody else. You know what occurred to me years ago? It occurred to me, this is about 20 years ago in our marriage, that my biggest need in our marriage is not to find a way to get Amy to meet my needs. That's what I thought it was. My biggest need in marriage is to see Christ deal with my sin. I faced that really powerfully um, about 20 years ago in what I would call the very lowest point of our marriage. We reached a place, and, and, and you may too, where we just, it wasn't working. Communication had broken down. We didn't like each other. Um, the reason we stayed married is because Jesus didn't give us another option. And by the way, I'm really glad we did. But in the midst of that really frustrated time when we're not working at all, 
I went up to Bee Tree Park, some of you know Bee Tree, to get alone with God. I just chucked all my responsibilities and, and went and got alone and began, I'm going to say praying, but really I was there to complain to God about her. And, and really the, the essence of my prayer was if she would just straighten up, we could have a good marriage. And I was laying out before God all the ways that she had disappointed me, all the ways I didn't think she was living up to her end of the bargain. And, and I made one critical mistake. I took my Bible with me. I began to read, just just crying out for help. And I got to 1 Peter 3.7, which we've already dealt with. And I read, Likewise, you husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, because they're heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. I didn't feel like God was hearing my prayers and suddenly I understood why. Because I wasn't honoring my life, my wife. I wasn't understanding her. I wasn't thinking about... She was going through you know, all the mess that came with, with the hysterectomy and all the wash of emotions. And, and I wasn't... I, none of that was in my mind. I thought the problem was her and suddenly God flipped it and I realized it is, it, it's me. Whatever it is she has to do with God will take care of... I gotta get, I've got to get my heart right with God about her. Sin... It's what makes me feel sorry for myself. Sin is what makes me short-tempered and angry. Sin is the root reason that I've treated Amy and my girls in less than Christ-like ways at times. And, and, and marriage, marriage, if I let it, marriage forces me to see that. It forces me to, to deal with the ugliness of my sin that I can hide in other contexts. I mean, you understand... Have you ever had one of those aha moments when you are just forced to see how ugly you are and how, how wicked your heart is and how selfish you are because of the thing that just came out of your mouth to this person you love most on earth? you ever been forced to say, oh, that's horrible. And you see, it's not that Amy brings out the worst in me. She doesn't. She is a great help. She is the greatest help, humanly speaking, in my life. But marriage puts me in a situation where the real me sticks out, whether I want it to or not. And that forces me to face it and go to Christ. And if I don't understand that, if I don't understand what's happening, I'm always going to be upset at her for being the opportunity God is using to bring the ugliness of my sin to the surface. And I will blame her rather than running to Christ in repentance for the grace and help that I need. Right, So you find yourself angry, upset, frustrated your spouse. First step is to go get in front of a mirror and say, what are you bringing out of me right now that is ugly and sinful and I need to deal with? Something about the speck and the beam, right? <laughs> uh, and, and, and letting God begin to deal with your sin. That brings me then to the second thing. If sin is the biggest problem in marriage, and it is, then grace is my biggest need in marriage. Grace alone makes a Christian marriage work as God designed it. I'll go a little further. I'm going to talk from a Christian marriage. Grace alone is what makes any marriage work, right? Common grace. I know some unbelievers that have a pretty good marriage. How can that even happen with two sinners unredeemed? Oh, because common grace in God's mercy does even amazing things for those who don't belong to Him. But, but here speaking to us, grace alone makes a Christian marriage work as God designed it. You see, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Please hear this. If you read these commands in verse 22 and verse 25 as law, you will never get it. As a husband, you'll look at verse 22 and you will say, Aha! I knew it! I knew I had a right to have her submit to me and do what I say. And she'll look at verse 25 and say, 
That's right. I knew it. I have a right to feel loved by Him. And I don't. He's not meeting my needs. And you'll both be miserable. You know why? Because there is not a sinner on this planet that can meet that standard well enough to satisfy the demands and cravings of another sinner's heart. And so you build up these high expectations of all that they should be and should be doing. Expectations that only Christ Himself could meet. And you go into a tailspin of discontent. I mean, isn't that where most of your conflicts come from? Think back to your last couple of conflicts. They ultimately tend to come down to unfulfilled expectations. You had in your mind the map of what you should be getting and what should be happening that didn't wasn't fulfilled to your liking and you're upset. That's what James says. James 4, 1 and 2. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Wouldn't you like to know that? What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions, your selfish passions, your lusts are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder, at least with your tongue or in your mind. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Oh, if he really loved me, he would do this thing. He'd be more like that fantasy guy I used to picture when I was a girl. But he isn't, and he hasn't. And so you feel you've got a right to be bitter and to complain because he's just not measuring up. And if she, if she was truly a godly woman, she'd do this, she'd do that, she'd be more available to me when I want her to be. But she's not. And so you think you have a right to be angry. Notice where your focus is. Notice where your eyes are at this moment. They're on you. They're on what you deserve. They're on what you have a right to have. And that's the problem. It is a self-problem. It's a sin problem. Your selfish sin has run up against her selfish sin and neither of you like it. Now, in all this, I'm talking about the normal course of marriage. I'm not talking about the extremes of abuse. I'm talking about the normal course of marriage. So what's the solution? If sin is the problem, what is the solution? Okay, come on, apply your theology. If sin is the problem, what's the solution? Repentance. Christ. The solution to sin is to bring His grace home with forgiveness and sacrificial service to one another. Right? What is grace? Someone give me a pocket definition. What is grace? God's undeserved favor. That's a, that's a good pocket definition. I'm going to flesh it just a little bit, but same ballpark. Simplest definition. Grace is great kindness shown freely to the undeserving for Christ's sake. Because if we know anything about grace, if, you're, if you know your theology, we know it is deserved or undeserved? Undeserved. Romans 11.6 Because if it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. If it's something you worked for and are getting as a payment, it's not grace at all. Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. Hear it. Grace is a gift. Grace is the choice to show kindness to someone who does not deserve it and has not earned it by their behavior. Okay, now apply that to marriage. Read Ephesians 5 in light of grace rather than law. 
It doesn't say, husbands, love your wives when they're worthy of it, when they're pleasing to you, when their behavior has earned your kindness. It says, love your wives because Christ is worthy of that and Christ loved you even when you were not worthy of it. Romans 5 verse 10, even when you were His enemy, He loved you and gave His Son for you. I had a spouse say to me one time, I feel like this person, I'm, I'm, I'm not like I'm sleeping with the enemy. And it wasn't, again, there wasn't like this gross, terrible sin. They were just in conflict. And God gave me the presence of mind of saying, what does Jesus say to do with your enemies? <laughs> Love your enemies. Be kind to them. Do righteousness with them. So, so husbands, the point is, you're not called to love her only when she gets it right. You are called to love her especially especially when she gets it wrong and fails to be the woman we know as a Christian she wants to be. And wife, same with you. You follow Him and you submit to His leadership. Not because He's always right. He's definitely not going to be. He'll be sometimes. He may be a lot of the time. But He won't be all the time. But you follow not because He's always right, but because Christ is always right about the way that marriage works. And the way that marriage works is this. Two fallen people redeemed by grace, submitting to Christ, and learning to love one another through the power of grace working through their lives. Or maybe just one of them has that grace working right now. But, but this is what we aspire to. This is what we're praying for. And so to see it that way, in terms of grace, begins to change your whole view of marriage as you stop thinking in terms of what am I getting or not getting out of this, and you are then freed to think instead, what gift am I called to give here? I really like this image, and if nothing else sticks in your brain today, let this I love this image of gift giving. Grace is gift giving. And in marriage, God calls and equips us with gifts to bring home to one another. Whenever I do premarital counseling, two couples here now that we're currently involved in, we go over this. So you guys, you know, you got a preview. But we bring a gift, grace gifts to marriage. Gifts God gave us that we didn't deserve that we now share with our spouse for the rest of our lives whether or not they deserve it. And so first of all, the husband, what gift does the husband bring? As a husband... God has given you the gift of leadership so that you can give your wife the gift of Christ's love. Over and over again. You see that? Verse 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. See the gift nature there? That He might sanctify her, having cleansed her uh, by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any other such thing, that she would be holy and without blemish. So Paul says the husband takes initiative. That's what leadership is. You take initiative and he uses that initiative and whatever authority God has given him for his wife, not against her to care for her, to protect her, to benefit her. By the way, protect her, protect her. This occurred to me you know, a few years into marriage. Of course, God beats the door down. I'm there. right? I'm taking Him on. I'm going to protect her from Him. But who's going to protect her from me when I'm being a real jerk? Well, that's my job too. <laughs> i got to protect her from the worst parts of me. 
How do I do that? I submit to Jesus. I repent when I'm a jerk. I tell her I've been wrong. I, I, I make sure that, that, I'm, that I'm being conformed to Christ. And so he, I've been given this. The, the husband has the gift to protect her, to benefit her, just as Christ protects and benefits the church. My position of leadership, verse 23, that's what head means. It means the place of leadership. My position of leadership is not for me. It is not an advantage I get to use for myself to get what I want. It is a responsibility. Christ has been given me for her. I am to use it to benefit and bless her as and my children. So marriage, marriage for a man, marriage is my opportunity to practice Christ-like love to a sinner named Amy for God's glory. And then, in the same way, Amy's submission to me is her gift of following for Christ's sake. It is her grace-filled response to the initiative God has given me to take. And so, if the husband's primary calling is to take responsibility for Christ-like service and leadership in the home, and it is, the wife's primary calling is to affirm and follow that leadership using her gifts to walk in step with Him as the two of them in a Christian marriage seek to walk with Christ. But notice, notice how everything here focuses on Christ. That, that's, that's key. How everything here focuses on Christ. The husband leads out of love for Christ, and so he must be sure that he is leading in Christ-like ways. And if not, repent. That's kind of your life, husband. Am I leading in a Christ-like way today? Did I lead today? End of the day, did I lead in a Christ-like way? Oh good, by God's grace I did. Thank you, Lord. Oh, here I did not. I repent. Do I need to go talk to my wife about my repentance? Did I, did I do something today that was not imaging Christ? And I want to. Amy, would you pray for me in this? I know I did this. It was stupid. You know, I, I, my favorite phrase, I know that don't adopt this. It's, there's all kinds of problems. But I'll just say to her, okay, I'm an idiot. <laughs> and she knows it's, it's an inside joke with us, right? Uh, she didn't call me that. I call me that. And what I mean by that is, I didn't follow Jesus very well today. And here's where. And the wife follows out of love for Christ and makes sure she is following in a Christ-honoring way. And if not, guess what she needs to do? Repent. Because listen, the last thing you want to do is build a Christless marriage. That would be a disaster for you and for your children. And you don't build a Christ-like marriage because you wake up one day and you say, I'm going to build a, Christ a Christless marriage. You build a Christless marriage by little by little, step by step, incrementally, without notice, leaving Christ out so that He is not leading, He is not bringing repentance, He is not sweetening your relationship, and you are going with the flow of this wretched world deeper and deeper into the sour that destroys families. No, no. We want our marriages to be full of Christ and full of grace every day. That's the goal, right? And so, living out God's design for marriage is a process of daily surrender to grace. Singles, kids, living for Christ, period, is a process of daily surrendering to His grace. But in marriage, it takes both me and Amy seeking God's help to overcome our selfishness and sin so that we can give these gifts to one another, grace gifts that neither one of us has earned and neither one of us deserves. But, but gifts that God keeps giving and working through us as we keep setting our eyes on Him. And in that context, 
there can be growth and maturity and things can get sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. I don't have time this morning. I'd sure love to share it with any time. I've shared with some of you. You know, I told you Amy, 20, Amy and I 20 years went through this horrible time. We really did. I mean, I've shared the story with, with a number of you because we're not ashamed. We're ashamed of how we acted. We're not ashamed that, that God used it. Because here's the marvelous thing. And some of you who've been in marriage older, you know this too. You could give this testimony and you should. That horrible time that had been so easy to bail out because neither one of us even liked each other anymore. But God didn't give us an out, so we had to work it out and we had to keep going back to Scripture and we had to come to repentance. We got on the other side. One day, Amy looked at me. I was sharing this with Phoebe yesterday. And she said, you know what? I like you. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, I have to love you. Jesus didn't give me a choice. But all of a sudden, for the first time in about two years, I realized I like you. And then from there, it just got sweeter. And it got better. And at some point, I looked around and I said, you know what? I hate that time we went through. I never, God, don't ever do that again. <laughs> don't let me go there again. But what we now have on this side of that horrid mess is so much sweeter and deeper. In fact, when we got married, I didn't know you could love this way. I didn't know you could feel this. And it's not the flash in the pan. Oh, we feel all, you know, I don't wake up in the morning and say, oh, look at her. And I promise she didn't say it because she didn't get up in the morning. Um, but I look and I'm grateful. And we wouldn't have gotten there if God hadn't taken us through this stuff. So it can get sweeter. It can get better. Because here's the thing. Hear this, gentlemen. I don't get to be the leader because I'm smarter or better or wiser than her. I assure you I'm not. I haven't won an argument in 25 years. No, I'm kidding. You know, here's something too. We fought constantly like in the middle part of our marriage. It was terrible. I'm, I'm ashamed of it. Just where we are right now, I'll just say, we don't, we haven't. Now, I may get home and do something really stupid and we'll see. But it just, someone said, well, you know, last time you had a fight, I thought, I don't remember. And it's not because we've quit sinning, it's because we've just sort of figured out, we've learned by grace to head those things off before they get there. Right? And, and, it, and it's, it's wonderful, but I don't get to lead, be the leader because I'm smarter or better or brighter than her. I've been given this place of leadership for her that I might bless her and benefit her and my children and grandchildren. And, and, and I know, I know that's not in me. I know that's not in my flesh. And so that's what keeps me dependent on Christ daily. So, so that every time I see that old selfish man begin to rise up in me, I need to take hold of him and run back to Christ for the grace I need to put that sucker to death and let Christ rise in his place. Galatians 2.22 applied to marriage. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live as Amy's husband, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live with her in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me so that I can love her and give myself for her. That empowers me to live this out. In the same way, submission is hers to give. It's not mine to demand. It is a gift that she brings to our marriage. Now, she must give it. That's part of her submission to Christ. And it is real submission. It is a real willingness to follow my lead. But it is also her grace-filled gift, not because I deserve it or have earned it, but because Christ deserves that from her. And let me tell you, I've said this to, I've said this to a lot of couples that I'm, I'm doing counseling. You guys, since you all know Amy, I don't have to describe this to you, right? Would you, on the scale of a strong personality or very weak, and where would you put my wife? 
Yeah, pretty fair on the strong one over here, right? We're both first children. We're, bur- we're both type A personality. Uh, we're both competitors. And we're, we're both redheaded, at least before it went gray, right? That explains to you the first several years of our marriage. Um, you know what really f- freaks me out and makes me grateful? When this very strong person willingly submits to follow my leadership as a gift of love. That blows me away. When I watch her with all of her gifts that I admire and love, who in the scale of just humanity is this strong personality willingly following my leadership? I know that's a work of grace. And so, so much of the bitterness and anger and frustration that we experience in marriage comes because we focus on our own unmet needs rather than our God-given calling and responsibility. I focus on the thing I think I deserve and am not giving rather than zeroing in on what Christ has called me to give and how Christ has called me to serve her for His glory and vice versa. Oh, listen, learn, church, to serve one another in your marriage. I mean, you, you take it outside the marriage, yeah. But learn there. I, I tell you, and again, old people start to reminisce, right? So this year, next year, I mean, I will have been married 40 years. You know, one of the things that really has started just to occur to me, you know what delights me more, almost more than anything in life right now? It's just getting to do something for her. Looking for an opportunity just to bless her with an action that in some way, I don't know, I just, I just, that I woke up to that one day as we're, as we're cruising along in marriage at 40 years and God has been so kind to us to get us through those horrible times when we were so sinful toward one another and, and, and to look and say, you know, it's a delight to serve my wife. It's something as simple as, you know, you guys know, you know, she was an athlete, so she beat up her body like crazy. I warned her, I warned her when we were young this was going to happen. So now the knees, the hips, they're all, they're all in pain and we keep a lot of stuff in the basement. And she'll say, oh, I forgot such and such. I'll say, let me get it. And I'm not, not tooting my horn at all. Please understand. But, but what occurs to me is my, my joints don't hurt. In fact, I'm a diabetic. I need the exercise. <laughs> and, I get, and, and sometimes I go down and say, isn't this fun? I know she, I get to serve her. And I don't go upstairs and say, hey, guess what? I served you. <laughs> I, I just, under the Lord, I say, God, let me do this. Show me ways. I come home and say, Lord, show me how to do that. So, I need to end this. Really, much of Christian marriage comes down to applying this theology. Putting these gifts into practice in the power of the Spirit. The very same gifts that we need beyond the home, in work, and in relationships, everywhere else. Those that some of you are really good at giving. You know, let me give you a common complaint that I get from spouses over the years. He or she is so kind to people at church but not me. In fact, I'll just give you one more revelation of my own sinfulness. You know those moments in, in marriage when you have an argument and there's a takedown? Amy took me down. She didn't mean to. She didn't know she was doing it. But I was not being the husband I needed to be in that same terrible time. <laughs> I didn't plan on sharing this. Sorry. Oh, goodness, this one still gets me. And she looked at me and she said, so when do I get a pastor? Right? I watch you being so kind to everybody else. When do I get that? <laughs> Woo! Yeah! 
I need to pastor my wife. Guess what? All you men, you get to pastor your wives too. When does she get a pastor? There's something to work on. All right. Didn't plan that one. Bringing them home and applying them, bringing all those gifts we use outside the home, bringing them home and applying them to this most fundamental earthly relationship. What a privilege. So let me close with this. Um, I already had uh, Kyle read this verse, but I want to read what has become my favorite marriage verse. And you're not going to you're going to say that's not a marriage verse. Oh yeah, it is. I'll prove it to you. Colossians chapter three, beginning in verse twelve. This is my favorite marriage verse. You say, but Paul is actually writing to the church there. Yeah, he's writing to the church. By the way, Amy's part of the church. And you'll notice where he ends. I didn't have Kyle read that far, but he goes straight from this to wives submitting to your husbands as is fitting, husbands loving your wives. So it's on his mind. If you apply this passage to your marriage, God's going to just continue to do wonderful things. Here it is. Scott coming home. Here's my picture. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Put it on like, like a shirt. Take it and put it on. Wear this around where Amy can see. Compassionate hearts. Kindness. Are you wearing kindness? Humility, not arrogance. Meekness and patience. Bearing with one another. Oh, you know what that means? It means putting up with stuff. Well, I shouldn't have to put up with... Oh, I beg to differ. Here it is. Bearing with one another. If anyone has a complaint against another... Yeah, spouses have complaints, don't they? If anyone has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, above all of them, put on love, dress in love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Not the turmoil, not the bitterness, not the selfishness. Let the peace of Christ invade and reign in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. The church is one body. Me and Amy, we're one flesh. That's even tighter. And be thankful. Oh, my goodness. Have you thanked God for your spouse lately? Do you you thank Him? Do you purposely, consciously thank God for the gift of your spouse and what it is about them that you're grateful for, even if you've got to search for it at this point? I'll just let you know, this has become a... My prayers for my wife every day start off with, Lord, I thank You for Amy because... Because that that reorients my whole attitude toward her. Let the Word of Christ, which is the one which reorients us to truth, dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There ought to be joy in your home from this. And, oh, he says it again, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, as a husband, as a wife, as a child, as a single, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Once again, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And then wives submitting to your husbands in light of all this. Husbands loving your wives in light of all this. Children obeying your parents in light of all this. Fathers not provoking your children in light of all this. Going to work in light of all this. But this is where we consciously take on Christ and we live out our theology in a way that brings Christ glory and serves those He has given us to serve. Amen? And so Lord... A passage like this can both encourage and confront. And I pray it has done both today. I pray it encourages us that Christ has this. (laughs) That all we need 
for our marriages and our relationships is found in Christ and His glory. And I pray that we are encouraged to look to Him and to repent and to keep repenting and to keep serving and to keep applying the truth that we've learned to our marriages. But also confront, Lord, uh, every time I go over this, I see an area where my sin is showing through and I need repentance. And Lord, would You lead Your people to that place? Not bitterness, not anger, not giving up, not saying I'm just worthless at this, but saying Christ is mighty and able to forgive sinners and to give them grace to walk for His glory. And going to Him and finding that and, and having the conversations that need to be had. And, and sometimes just without a word, as Peter says of wives, husbands too, sometimes without a word just saying, I'm going to start serving her. I'm going to start doing these. I'm not going to broadcast it. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm going to do it. Lord, change my heart and let me do it. Let me delight in doing for her. Let me delight in serving. And whether they notice or not, whether I see an instant change or not, let me do this unto you by your grace, for your glory, knowing that the reward is from you and then leaving the rest of it to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.